Hello and welcome back to the history of video games. My name is Ben and I am joined by the one and only Wes. How's it going, Wes? How are you doing? I'm doing good, Ben. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. I'm making it through. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like tomorrow's Monday, so you know I feel like my time's on the clock right now. It's always a little rough, you know, but this uh, podcast, it's a bright spot, fun occasion for our Sunday evenings. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Definitely. So, well, uh, I started off this time because I finished a game last week, so I started some new games. Oh, yeah, yeah. This week. I want to talk about Minecraft because I actually went back and bought it because my account got stolen and then I reached out to Microsoft like a year ago to get it fixed and they never (laughs) did that for me. (laughs) So I just finally was like, okay, I guess I'll buy it. And luckily it was only 30 bucks, I think, which... I thought it was higher. I was actually like, I'm going to get scammed for so much money, but um, it wasn't too bad. Yeah. So I got that. And then I don't know. I, I haven't gone like really in depth into it yet, but I've just been exploring all these different mods and um, servers that I've been wanting to check out. So I started with the build the earth servers, which uh, for those of you who don't know out there, people are trying to build the earth in minecraft in (laughs) one-to-one scale um which is basically impossible but they can build like several miles of the earth pretty well you know in a couple of months or whatever and that's a lot of stuff you know so it's definitely worth checking out they basically have i don't know maybe a mile or so of just about almost all the major cities in the world kind of done that's impressive i mean even that much yeah it is like surprising how little it is because like when I was in there, like a mile sounds like a lot and it is a lot, but really it's just like, like you can see like where it ends, you know, from right, any direction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, it definitely feels a little not done, but you know, that's to be expected, but it is cool just to like go to Las Vegas and like look at the strip and go to New York city and walk around Chinatown and San Francisco and do whatever you want to do even to going to like where your house is you know it's probably not built but you could build it yourself if you wanted to so there's a lot of really cool things about it and a lot of really cool places and i still haven't checked out everything i want to check out but um that was really cool to see and then i started downloading mod packs and for whatever reason the technic launcher doesn't really work with my new minecraft account so I've been going to feed the beast, which does work. And I started, I started with a mod pack called revelations, which is just kind of like a, here's a bunch of really cool mods. You know, you've got total free reign to do whatever you want, go for it. And, uh, I started doing that. I built this really cool base. I didn't really get into the mods any too much. I really wanted to get into build craft, which has pipes and stuff, but I didn't do that yet. But then I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, I kind of maybe want to do a little bit more of a guided kind of thing because otherwise I'm just going to do like the one or two things I want to do with the mods I know and then probably stop. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So I downloaded another mod from Feed the Beast called Academy and it's meant for people that don't know mods very well. Like I'm a experienced Minecraft player at this point in my life, but there's a lot of parts of these mods that I've never done before 
like even popular mods like Botanica, which has probably been around for years and years and years, but I've never done it. Like that's in there, but there's a whole bunch of other stuff, including mods that have been updated from, you know, the years that I've not been playing. And what's nice about it is that there's a questing system. So it's like, do this. Okay. I know what to do. Okay, now do this. Okay. You know, so it's, you always have a goal of something you want to do and those goals really are meant to take you through all those mods completely and do everything that there is to do with them. So I just started that up today and uh, basically just built out another new base, <laughs> which okay, is like yeah. most of what I end up doing anyways, just building bases. Right, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's fun. And um, I haven't gotten into the mod packs too much, but I'll probably get into the, the techie ones first and then maybe... Maybe like some of the farming ones and slowly get towards the magical side of things. Cause I think that's where there's going to end up being like dimensions and mini bosses and stuff. Yeah. So I'll save that for last. I think I haven't fully explored Thomcraft, but it's in almost every single mod pack and yeah, it just does a lot. <laughs> yeah. I've played Thomcraft a fair amount and I've gone pretty far in it to making like little golems and stuff. But this one doesn't have Thomcraft. It has a different one called, uh, like astral sorcery or something like that okay interesting but it's it's supposed to be really popular um i guess more popular than thomcraft but i've never done it before so that'll be an interesting one to check out for sure it'll be really cool i'm really just like excited to be playing minecraft again and even the thought of maybe playing with other people or downloading other mods like uh there's a NPC maker mod kind of thing where you can basically make an RPG inside of Minecraft, oh, which nice. is something I did way back in high school. And uh, that file kind of got corrupted and I kind of stopped. But the thought that those mods are still around <laughs> and they've still been being updated for years and years and years, it's just it's like, I should definitely go back and check it out again. So there's a lot of cool stuff to do. So I'm very excited. And, uh, I'm going to definitely be playing this upcoming week. Nice, but yeah. That's basically all I've done is just basically mine out a couple bases. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, that's how you got to make your start. That's what you're uh, yeah. itching for when you get back into Minecraft after a while, I feel like. Yeah, definitely. I love that it's reached the point in its lifespan, like no, well, I'm not going to say like no video game before, but like none that I can think of where somebody needs to make a mod pack to just introduce people to the like entry level mods because so many people are playing modded minecraft yeah it's an insane concept but i love it <laughs> and there's so many good mods that so many that i feel like should be in normal minecraft like skyblock should 100 percent just be a world generation setting in normal minecraft yeah i don't know yeah. but um <laughs> But yeah, there's a lot that I want to do and check out. So I'll start here. There is a sequel to this mod pack that has like more advanced mods and is a further questing. So oh, cool. there's a lot for me to check out. Nice. Well, that sounds like a fun rabbit hole to get yourself into. Oh, yeah. Well, what have <laughs> you been up to, Wes? So I've been playing, uh, doing my usual thing and taking a break from story games and other stuff and then playing a totally different story game. I recently picked up Deus Ex Mankind Divided, which okay. is the uh, sequel to Deus Ex Human Revolution, which was not really the reboot. These two are like new entries in the Deus Ex 
series, mm-hmm. um, which I haven't played many of the originals. They were back on like original Xbox. And I think even before them, I played a little bit of Invisible War. Uh, but these two are the ones that I mainly have my experience in. And just to give a brief overview for people who don't know what the Deus Ex universe is, it's sort of like a grim near future where you know a bunch of people are getting augmented through like crazy new eyeballs that you see through walls or say they lost an arm in a war they get a robotic arm but in this universe to have the body not reject the new metal parts there's a drug that everyone needs to take to be able to get their body to accept the parts so of course it leads to all these really interesting and cool ethical situations where uh, in this game especially as the title kind of states right at the front mankind divided there's this huge clash between what they call i think naturals which is just humans who have don't have any augments and then the augs which are the augmented humans where you know there's kind of like a class system and the augs are at the bottom so it's very interesting if you want to get into like some cool ethical quandaries it's an rpg where you get to make decisions and a lot of the decisions are gray the main character is this guy who in the first game just like basically died and got all his limbs blown off and without his permission his boss was like you got to keep this guy alive so he just made him augmented when adam jensen previously hadn't been augmented at all so he was like forced into it and through that game and this game he's sort of like accepting this is who i am now and got to stick up for my people basically gotcha yeah so it's crazy interesting story this game when it came out got canned or panned whatever the right word is for saying people really didn't like it part of it was people said it was too short and i don't know if it's one of those situations where you have to be like familiar with the series to get the full enjoyment out of a game that sounds like gatekeeping so i don't want to say it that way but Deus Ex games, usually you can just like spend hours exploring in the side quest before you even touch the main quest. Um, and a lot of people said the game was too short when it came out, but I've spent like seven hours in the first area and done like one step of the main quest. So <laughs> it would have to be pretty short for me to be upset with it. But of course, it was a $60 game at launch and I picked it up for five bucks. So I'm not a, <laughs> it's been on my wish list for years. And partly I think because it got pretty bad reviews like every steam sale it goes down to five dollars so i finally picked it up but it's really fun it's you can approach most of the battles in a bunch of different ways this is the type of game where i tend to lean towards the like stealth and if i don't do it perfectly load a save and then do it perfectly kind of gameplay uh Mm -hmm. because that's how i tend to roll with stealth games i like to just keep reloading the same save until i get like this perfectly choreographed uh stealth sequence and it lets you do that with all these cool, crazy augments, being able to see through wall, be able to see people's cone of visions, stuff like that. It also has like a really weird, just like vast exploration system. There's always like three different ways to get into any building and just so many different ways that you can approach each situation. Uh, so it's overwhelming, but if it's the kind of thing that you're looking for, it's super fun. So I've been having a real good time with that, but the overwhelming part of it is that I just, you know, I realized after a while playing it, I'm like, wow, I've just been like crawling through vents. That's also a huge thing. You crawl through vents like all the time. I think it's like partly a joke now, but it's, it's awesome. But I've been doing that for like seven hours and I haven't even <laughs> left the first area, Prague, where you start out. 
So I was like, ah, maybe I should take a break for this. But I, even just talking about it, getting me more excited. It's a super good game. I think they did polish it a bit after launch. So I'm really getting in at the right time, buying it for $5. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, at that, at that price, especially, I highly recommend it. It's super fun. Did you ever play Dishonored? Is it kind of like that? It is in the sense that, yeah, there's, it's not open world, but there's like zones or maps where you can kind of like run wild and do side quests. And then usually there's like a point in a return mission that takes you to the next area. Um, so it is a lot like that. Cause if I remember right mm-hmm. in Deus Ex and I think it dishonored a lot of times you'll go back to the same area, but after some big story event happened and like see the repercussions of your side quests, right? Uh, well, in the first Dishonored, it was more of a linear, here's like a big open level, kind of like a Hitman or something. Um, and then here's the next level. So I don't, and you had kind of like a base of operations. Right. You yes. Go back to the bar. I remember that. But I don't think it was like open world, open world. Yeah. And Deus Ex is a lot like that. Like you're in the city of Prague right now. And I think this is like the first game where like, I'll go to maybe a more isolated linear mission. And then I go back to Prague and I can roam around for a while more, but I kind of like see the effects of the decisions I made in side quests because it's one of those like That's moral cool. choice kind of games where sometimes you're like, oh, I got to choose this person or this person. Neither one's necessarily a good person, but you just like make a choice and then you have to see what happens. Got it. Yeah, that, I mean, I feel like I would like that. Oh, yeah, it's good, but definitely one of the ones where you can just like get yourself lost exploring every corner, but it's fun at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, cool. All right, I think with that, let's move into our special topic. This is one that we kind of did last year as well. It's uh, what I coined the plug-and-play games, even though that's probably not accurate to what they are at all. <laughs> but that's just what I've been calling them. Essentially, these are games that have like standalone electronic brains, but you still move pieces, so they're kind of like video game board game hybrids, you know, like digital board games. <laughs> So we don't usually like rate or review these games, but I thought, you know, every year maybe I'll put them into a little special topics just so you guys can kind of know what's going on in that world. So um, I'll go through a couple just kind of quickly and then Russell will cover a couple more in depth. But uh, we have here the Mac 1, the Fidelity Chess Challenger 10, Boris, Chessmate, JSNA Computer Chess, Chess Champion Mark 1, and as you can tell, all of those are basically electronic chess games. So basically what it is, is like, imagine a big calculator, but the calculator actually has a chessboard on it. And then you like input your move and then you move the piece. And then it'll tell you back in like digits, you know, pawn to E6. And that's the computer's move. And then you'll, you'll move it on the board and then you'll input your next move. So you're kind of like playing the computer, but like using real pieces and uh this is like a contained unit so even though i say plug and play you're not plugging it into anything usually i think some of these you can plug into the computer and the computer can help with the computing power but um you know it's basically like you're playing a board game with a computer <laughs> if that makes sense and for the most part some of these were actually like okay and could probably be a challenge to like normal people i think you know if you played chess a lot you'd be able to take these guys down pretty easily but um 
the chess code at this time is definitely getting better, so you can definitely play this pretty well. And then on top of all those chess ones, we do have one here that's checkers. It's called the Checker Challenger by Fidelity. And um, that's just essentially the same thing, but with checkers. So those are the more boring ones, I guess. <laughs> and then sort of in the same vein, but a little bit more out there, is the uh, Gammon Master 2 by Triom Incorporated. And that is basically the same thing, except backgammon. Uh, so it's interesting that backgammon is popular enough at this point that they wanted to mess around to make an automated computer version of it. Uh, but this one, it's so weird. I like the chess ones too, I guess, where the backgammon like physical board is just on the side. So like you can mm -hmm. use this if you actually wanted to play with another person, I guess. And then whenever you move, you just have to input your move so that the computer's like, oh, that's what they did. And then they figure yeah. it out and display their move and you have to move the computer's pieces for them, which it sounds mm -hmm. like is the same for the chess, uh, yeah. chess computers. Uh, so this one plays backgammon. It comes in this crazy like leather carrying case that you flip open. It shows dice on the display. I don't know too much about backgammon, but for the dice rolling in that, it just kind of has LED lights that show up in the sequence of whatever the roll was. But it still has a physical board and pieces. And as noted in the video that I was watching, the pieces aren't magnetic, which I feel like it's just a... <laughs> maybe the tech wasn't there, but that would have made it so much easier for like backgammon where you got all these pieces just sitting flat on the board. <laughs> but so that's it for Ganon Master the next one is super crazy. I like this one. Yeah, it's it looks really cool. Look it up if you get a chance. It's a Solid State Monopoly by Steve Kasner. So this is a big Monopoly tabletop thing with an LED display in the center of it. It was made in assembly language, which from what I know is sort of a precursor to like the easier basic languages that a lot of people are using at this time. And it uses an S100 system to run it. Basically, it had on the tabletop some instructions for how to play the game taped in front of you, as well as four different calculators for each players who could sit around the table to input their moves. And then there's a glass display in the middle that used overlays of dice and of the game board around the side, the typical Monopoly game board, uh, to show, and I believe it showed the pieces as well moving around the board. So maybe it had like an LED all the way around the board for each type of piece. And yeah, we just like, same as the back end one, light up the dice to show you what each person's role was. And I don't know, it, it just looks really cool the way this uh, Monopoly overlays on top of the board. But it does look like this was just basically a passion project by Stephen Kasner. I don't think it was ever mass produced or anything. There's probably just the one of these. Uh, but mm -hmm. it must have been expensive or something because I don't know why this wouldn't have caught on. Maybe people don't want to play Monopoly at the bar, but it looks really cool. <laughs> yeah, I think it looks really cool as well. Maybe um, there's just something about putting the hotels down with your fingers that people really enjoy, but uh, it true. does look really cool. Um, it's basically like all the movable pieces on Monopoly are kind of like digital LEDs, right? So Yes, yeah. I definitely think it has a place, you know? So, I mean, I would pick it up. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like, if that was on the market today and it's like a full table size, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's all of them. There wasn't that many this year. I think there was more last year. It's mainly chess ones, which, to be honest, I kind of understand because computer chess is actually a really big thing. Uh, we mentioned it from time to time, but you have those computer chess championships and 
there's this effort to try to make technology and computers be able to beat a grandmaster in chess, which hasn't happened yet. I don't think that happens for quite a while till Deep Blue comes out, but uh, we will keep track of it and let you guys know what updates there are. Um, I don't really know what the future of these types of games are. I don't think we see them nowadays, so they must fall off at some point, but I don't know when that will be. So we'll just keep track and maybe once a year check back in with them. But for now, let's head over and play some real games. Oh, yeah. Hey everybody, welcome back from that break. Let's get right into our timeline of games today. We're going to start off with the Atari 2600. Always excited to look at more games from that. This first one, maybe not so much though. Uh, one of the new cartridges for it is Brain Games, which we didn't cover, just going to be an honorable mention because it's 19 different Simon Says, math games, and hidden picture games. Something notable about this one, though, it did also feature a music player, which we think might be the first console to have like a keyboard where you could type in and it would play the sounds back to you. Yeah, yeah. So kind of cool, but not really worth playing. <laughs> this next one, though, I thought would be pretty cool, but uh, it's a little weird. <laughs> so this one's called Flag Capture. And uh, just I want to briefly talk about the artwork for it, though, because the artwork is pretty cool. It's basically a bunch of pirates you've got like a pirate ship that's like burning you've got like three pirates on the side that look like they're ready to fight somebody a little like dingy craft in the middle and then just like a giant face of a pirate guy staring at you in the corner <laughs> it's really weird it's like it's, bit, it's a kind of hand-painted style right, right so it's um pretty cool looking and it's marketed as 10 flag capture video games, which I'm like, okay, if this is like capture the flag, that could be cool. You know, I don't know. But it's not really that. So <laughs> <laughs> oh, let no. me talk about this one. Yeah, so basically what this game is, is you've got a, I think it's a seven by nine grid. And basically it's just a grid of, white squares right and you've got a character which is you on starting on the top left for player one and the bottom right for player two and whenever you go and move to a new uh, grid square you can choose to search it and when you search you're looking for the flag if you get the flag you win but sometimes when you search you can either a get an arrow and it'll kind of tell you oh it's kind of over that way so you know okay i'll go that way and try to find it Sometimes, though, it'll also say a number, and that's like how many squares away it is, but you don't know what direction. And then also sometimes it'll be a bomb, and when <laughs> it's a bomb, you go back to the start, <laughs> you know, not to go there again. But unlike something like Minesweeper, which is kind of, I was getting some vibes of that because of the numbers and stuff. Uh, unlike Minesweeper, the numbers don't tell you where the bombs are, so like, <laughs> you're going to be hitting bombs, like this just going to happen. <laughs> 
they're random essentially so nothing you can do because all the numbers and stuff refer to the flag and not the bombs right so that's essentially the game there's like i mentioned 10 different variations i don't know if i would call them 10 <laughs> uh you've got basically one and two player versions um of this game and there's a couple different versions for the two player so the one player is just you versus like a timer and you're just trying to get the flag as many times as you can but for two player there's a couple different ways you can play it one is that both players are trying to find the same flag and are just going for it you know in real time whoever gets there first gets the flag and the point but then you can also do it where one person will move and wherever they search once they're done searching, it's the other player's turn, and they can move, and they, then they can search. With that one, you'll know what your opponent did, so you can kind of... I guess if you go first, you're at a disadvantage then, but... So you have a turn-based kind of mode, and then you have another one where it's uh, two-player, but instead of going back and forth all the time, one player basically gets to do as many moves as it takes to find the flag, and then player two has to match that number or get lower to kind of win that round. So there's a couple different ways you can play, either fully back and forth or, you know, one person finds a flag, the next person finds a flag, or both people going at the same time. So I don't know, they're, uh, they're not really variations on the gameplay per se, but just different ways of playing, which might be more suitable for uh, certain types of people. And then as far as the actual gameplay variations, there's really only two. There's the flag can be moving, so every time somebody searches, the flag will move and luckily it's not random it'll be in a set path either horizontally vertically or diagonally so you can figure it out and over time you'll get close and get to the flag so i didn't think it was really much of anything i think it would probably be the most impactful in those two player games where you might have to kind of think about that ahead of time and and really plan out where you think the flag is going to be but when you're playing one player you'll just get it over time because you'll catch up to the flag. But uh, you have that, so that's moving, right? And then the other game mode is whether you can wrap around the screen or not, and that also counts for moving flags. So sometimes the flag will hit a wall and go kind of bounce back. If it's diagonally, it'll actually bounce in a different diagonal direction. But if it's just straight up and down, it just bounces up straight and up, up and down, for instance. Or it can wrap around the screen. So those are your gameplay variations which to me mm. <laughs> don't really do a whole lot <laughs> uh, the core gameplay is very much the same for all of them and something else that's like kind of i don't know just not interesting with the game is that the backgrounds and everything don't really change between all these different game modes it's basically Ooh. like blue background and then you've got a red character dude searching, a green character dude searching. They don't really have animations. It's just like a stick figure. And then a flag and then a bomb sprite. And that's basically it. <laughs> so um, I think without further ado, let me get into the ratings. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start out with probably the best thing, which is the gameplay. Because I do think you can have a fun time with this game. To me, it's kind of like a mini game. You know, it's good for a couple rounds with a buddy. But you're not going to be playing this for hours and hours because there's just not enough content. It's the same thing over and over and over again. But I think it's definitely a unique concept. It does remind me of concentration a bit, even though it's a little different. 
And this kind of reminds me of some other games, even like Battleship or Sonar Search, you know, stuff like that that we've done before. But um, I don't know. I played it for a little bit and I didn't hate it or anything. It didn't make me angry. So that <laughs> is probably a positive. So I give it a two out of ten. It's uh, kind of mediocre, but um, it, it's not terrible. For graphics, I gave it a 1.75. I guess like the hardest thing the 2600 had to do here was just display, I don't know, 60 some squares in a way that was visually appealing. And it does do that. And the stick figures look fine. The flag looks fine. The, the bomb looks fine. The arrows all look good. Everything looks fine. But it's like one color palette. There's like no animations. Maybe it's just a combination of like what the gameplay is. Like what, what else could they have done here? I don't know. But uh, it's just not a very good looking game. <laughs> it's just <laughs> very boring and kind of plain to look at. Like there's no pirates here <laughs> which right <laughs> i was kind of hoping for going into it somehow um but definitely no pirate theming here <laughs> it's a little disappointing so 1.75 there for sound i gave it a one and a half out of ten it's mainly pong beeps but with a couple unique sounds like when you get the flag you have like a little victory i wouldn't say it's like a song but it's like a little different type of sound that plays and then you also have the bomb explosion sound but when you're just moving from grid space to grid space it's just like palm beeps which is not good so i gave that a one and a half out of ten especially knowing that this console can maybe do some sounds and stuff it's definitely not what i wanted <laughs> <laughs> And for relevance, I gave it a two and a half out of 10. And that's pretty low for Atari 2600 titles since it is the 2600, you know, it's usually gets some points just because of that. But um, I wanted to read you this uh, part from the Wikipedia page of this game I found. Ooh, okay. Because <laughs> you know, those are always good. Oh yeah. <laughs> so it says reception. The reception both at the time of the release and later has been overwhelmingly negative. <laughs> so um, someone called it one of the most primitive looking and sounding games ever. <laughs> Which, you know, we've played Pong. I mean, it's better than Pong. Yeah, right. <laughs> as far as the looks and the, the sounds go. But um, yeah, it's definitely not one of the better ones on the 2600, especially compared to, you know, the better ones like Combat. For instance, it's not even close. So it's definitely a not a very good game. One other thing I read on the Wikipedia page I want to say quick. The game was also used in a psychological test carried out on subjects from the U.S. Navy related to skill retention. <laughs> Which, why were they what? playing 2600 <laughs> titles in the Navy? I don't know. It seems so random, but <laughs> apparently it happened. Interesting. But anyway, that is a flag capture. For overall score, I gave it a 1.75, which definitely ranks it among sort of the, the worst Atari 2600 titles. But I do want to reiterate that it's not terrible. Like, it's not going to be the worst game of the year. It's just forgettable. Um, yeah. And I think the real reason is that the variations just aren't very good at all. Like, having the flag move... Sure, maybe that's one variation, but it does not count as like six, depending oh, on right. if the screen wraps or not, you know? So, 
and the two-player variations really don't change it up very much at all. So, yeah, oh, it's, a, it's a little bit of a letdown. But, yeah. Uh, especially with the cool artwork and uh, thing, it was Capture the Flag. I thought, oh, maybe it's two people with, like, guns trying to get past each other and grab the other person's flag. Like, that would be fun. <laughs> but it's not it. <laughs> maybe the next one. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's a shame that the the gold standard Atari 2600 game is still combat, which was literally like in the first batch of releases. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it's true though. Yeah, and just a little bit of research that uh, I've helped out with in '79. It's like okay, we know more good ones are coming for the 2600, but mm-hmm. man, they're they're not proving themselves right now. <laughs> I do think um, even in '78, there's a handful left, maybe. Less than five, but there's a couple left, and I know for certain that some of them are going to be really good. So, okay, uh, good. I think there are good ones around the corner, but uh, these bad ones are creeping in from time to time as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, with that, let's get out of the August 1978 Atari 2600 titles and move into some computer games. Yeah, so we are going to start off with the Kilobod magazine issue for. August. The one game that we want to point out in this one is called Swords and Sorcery. We think it's for the TRS-80, and it looks like it's completely different than the Play-Doh version of Swords and Sorcery, which was actually pretty sweet that uh, I took a look at a while back. This one, though, is just a text adventure, as far as we could tell, where you're saving a princess from a necromancer. And it says if you're successful in your mission, you will both be financially solvent and have a wife. Okay, nice. (laughs) (laughs) All right, cool. So moving on, we have the Interface Age August magazine here. This one has three games in it. The first was European Roulette in color, which is exactly what it sounds like. We then have one called Misfit by Bruce Scott, and it was basically a two-player version of here's a bunch of things. Which one of these things is not like the other things? (laughs) (laughs) And I think there was some sort of time component or whoever typed it in first or something along those lines would get the point or win that round. And then finally we had ping pong, which is a pong game, which I know what you're thinking, Ben, who cares about that? But you have to imagine pong on a computer is already pretty rare, but this is like pong in a magazine and basic for computers, which actually probably was seen and used by a lot of people, I think. So definitely worth mentioning. For sure. And now we have a few honorable mentions from the soft tape and Apple II side of things. The first one is Saucer Invasion by Soft Tape and PowerSoft, which contrary to what I thought is not a Space Invaders clone. Uh, This one is actually just a very simple timing based shooting game where you're shooting UFOs moving across the screen. Now that I think of it, it could be just what soft tape was able to do for the apple II at the time to make a sort of space invaders but uh sounds more just like a timing shooting game yeah if i remember right there's only one ufo at a time so gotcha not not close <laughs> enough to call it a clone <laughs> yeah um but the next one here is kind of interesting apple 21 which you know it's just blackjack by soft tape but there's some really cool parts about this it's actually probably the best graphics we've ever seen for a blackjack game because the back of the cards are detailed to show when the card is facing down. So it actually has like Ooh. artwork on the back 
and then cards that are face up actually have little images drawn in for the king, queen, and jack, which I don't think we've ever seen before. It's always been like no. a big K, you know. So um, graphically, it's probably the best looking blackjack game to date, but I didn't think it was worth reviewing just for that. So we're going to leave it as an honorable mention. The next we get to the first game that I took a look at today and the namesake for this episode, Bob Bishop is back and he is here with Bomber published through Soft Tape. They put it out on one of their cassettes for the Apple II and Bomber is basically what it sounds like. It's an airplane bombing type game. It looks like this is the first, if not one of the first that Bob Bishop kind of put out through soft tape right away. I think a lot of the previous ones that we covered through him, he made on his own. Uh, so he's going to be working with them at least for a little bit. We'll be seeing his name in conjunction with soft tape. And apparently the way that this game displayed, it moved individual pixels to make complex shapes and games at the time for the Apple II were moving like blocks of pixels at a time instead of a single pixel at a time, which is a little complicated, but I'll get into it when I describe how this game works and what makes it interesting. Uh, but the gameplay itself is just super simple bombing game. Playing goes right to left across the screen and wraps around. There's a tank which goes left to right across the screen, or occasionally after you hit it, it'll go backwards across the screen. You have to basically hit it as many times as you can within the time limit with a total of 15 shots. Uh, so as far as I can tell, the max score is just 15 for this. <laughs> the bombs do carry some of the momentum of the plane. And I think because of that weird, like individual pixel movement that I was talking about, I don't know if you would exactly call it pixel or a hit registration, but the way the margin for being able to hit the tank with your single pixel wide or maybe two pixel wide bomb is so thin uh in the videos i was watching of this the bomb looked like it was grazing the back of the tank a couple times but it just wasn't actually hitting it or registering and i think part of that might have also been because there was a slight delay in what is seen on screen and what the computer is actually moving uh because it's mm -hmm. moving like all of those pixels of the complex shapes at once i think that's my understanding of it at least but other than that, the game is really simple. So I'm just going to kind of keep talking about it as I get into my ratings for it. For graphics, I gave it a 1.5 out of 10, which is low, but this is the most exciting thing about this game. Part of the graphics, at least, because the screen itself is black and white. There's a, you wouldn't really call it wireframe, but like an outline of a tank that looks pretty good and an outline of a plane that looks pretty good. And that's it as far as visual interest but the unique thing about the tank and the plane is that each pixel is being plotted individually by the computer so this means they kind of flicker as they move which doesn't create a great visual effect but it does allow for some really cool stuff to happen too like the bomb is actually visible on the bottom of the plane the whole time it's flying and so when it drops off it's actually those pixels like moving off of it which is sort of different I don't know, it, it looks a little bit different because it's actually tracking those two pixels as the bomb the whole way down. And most importantly with this technology is that when the tank is hit, the explosion is created by all the pixels that make up the drawing of the tank 
flying up into the air based on like sort of a predetermined uh, set of ways that they can fly up into the air and then be affected by a sort of fake gravity and fall back to the ground. Uh, so that, even though it's a small thing, is really the coolest thing about the visuals for this game. Hit the tank and it just explodes into smithereens. It's not a new sprite of an explosion. It's all the pixels flying off in different directions and it looks really good. It's sort of like this cool dust cloud kind of explosion. Yeah, it like really incinerates. That's how I think about it. Yes, yeah. Like as I think some of the pixels might stay like two pixels together, but other than that, it goes from being a tank to like single pixels everywhere, <laughs> mm-hmm. which creates this really nice effect. But other than that, as I mentioned, still gives it a 1.5 for graphics overall because it's black and white. There's a green line under where the tank goes, which I guess might symbolize grass. And it was either on purpose or a weird visual effect, but it looked like there was also some different color pixels sort of scattered throughout the tank and the plane. Uh, the 1979 update to this added score, but even then it's just a text score, so nothing too special. And I should have mentioned earlier, but the most widely available version of this is the 1979 version, as far as I could tell, but only has slight tweaks to the 1978 version, so there's not too much difference between them. Sound, though, is one of the things that is apparently different. Overall, I only gave it a 0.5 out of 10 for sound anyway, uh, because apparently, and I could be wrong on this because there's not a lot of information on this game, um, but apparently the original 1978 version didn't have any sound. And then the 79 version added just basically repetitive clicking that sort of sounded like an engine, but whether it was the tank engine or plane, who knows? Uh, because it played the whole time you were playing the game and there's no explosion sound anyway. So oh. yeah, with an explosion that looks that visually interesting, you got to give me something. But And you know Bob Bishop has those explosion sounds ready to go. That's true, yeah. I mean, we've seen the Star Wars games. We don't mind when you keep using that same explosion sprite. Just uh, <laughs> throw that sound in there, too. Um, so that's, I mean, not too much more to say about the sound there. In gameplay, I also got a little brutal on this one. A 0.5 out of 10. Uh, I like Bob Bishop games. Although they are very simple, they do make some cool visual experiences with the Apple II. This is just plain bomber game at its most simple form. There's one tank, there's one plane looping across the screen in different directions, and the only variation in the gameplay is that the tank sometimes changes directions when you hit it and it respawns. The best part of the gameplay is the satisfying feeling of when you get to see the cool tank explosion, but even then, you only have 15 shots, so you can only do it 15 times max before you basically mastered the game. Uh, It's a pretty generous time limit, so if you get good at the timing, you'll just hit it 15 times and be like, well, I did it. (laughs) I beat Bomber the game. And at first I was like, well, I guess you could go edit the total amount of shots in the code but this is a cassette tape it's not even like a basic code game where you could go edit in the line of code so 15 times max unless you wanted to write onto the cassette and that's probably a horrible idea so as it stands gameplay is not great for this so then relevance i gave it a three out of ten because the first bob bishop game that doesn't use the same explosion animation i mean that's pretty monumental but not (laughs) 
not irrelevant outside of the realm of the Bob Bishop canon that we are creating. Um, seriously, though, I do think it does some really cool and innovative stuff graphically, although apparently it didn't, because of the things it tried to do graphically, it didn't run great. You know, it probably could have done more if it did what other games were doing. But the game itself just isn't that exciting, even if the explosion animation is really cool. So overall, I just gave it a 1 out of 10. Bomber does some cool things, but the gameplay is just a little too bland to support the neat tech that it has with the graphics. So I definitely enjoyed taking a look at it and its place in history, but there's not really enough game here to play for me. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, when I saw it, I thought maybe this is more of a tech demo than a game. Yeah. But I did think that the explosion pixelated thing was... I don't know, do you think it could be a precursor to, like, pixelated blood, for example? Kind of spewing off people or something? It definitely could be. I don't know. It's it's hard to say what this directly inspired. So, like, my relevance could be a little low on this. I'm sure there are other times, like, uh, maybe asteroids in the future where... Basically, when something's breaking off from something, it's like coming from the same part of it. That's a mm-hmm. bad way to explain it. But like pieces of the tank made the explosion. It wasn't like a new explosion showed up. So yeah, I don't know. I'm sure we'll see it down the road. And maybe I can uh, go back and edit this afterward if something definitely looks like it took inspiration from this. But for now, it just seemed kind of like you said, like a cool tech demo. But I don't really know if it's going to go anywhere. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Bomber by Bob Bishop. Neat one. Not a lot of game there. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have some other Bob Bishop ones, so let's oh, keep yeah. it going. This next one, though, is just a normal soft tape. It's uh, called Fighter Pilot, and it's a Starship One type of game, so kind of like a first-person-y kind of game. But it's actually very similar to Bob Bishop Star Wars, where you're kind of just waiting for the enemy ship to kind of be in your crosshair, and then you fire at it. But what was cool about this game was that it had more authentic flight control and steering, so you could kind of get it in your uh, crosshair a little bit better. And then it also had an aesthetic cockpit part of the screen, so it made you feel like you were inside of the uh, the aircraft, which was kind of cool. Or like, I guess it was like a jet fighter that you were in. So kind of an interesting one, but the gameplay is very similar to things we've already seen and reviewed. And then getting back to the Bob Bishop Apple II games, we have Dynamic Bouncer, which is basically just a screensaver of a Pong ball going around and hitting walls that will randomly spawn. Uh, it's part of a Space Games cassette. Uh, it did look pretty cool, but it's not really a game per se. And then next we have Star Wars by Bob Bishop, which is just an expanded version of Bob Bishop's original Star Wars, has better graphics and a little bit of music with it. And next, moving away from the Apple II games for a little bit to something really weird, uh, we have the 2XL by Mego, which we know came out no later than September of 78. Basically, it's this little toy robot that uses cartridges and each cartridge would like play some music and ask trivia or logic puzzle questions and then the robot would tell you if you got it right there's toys kind of like that now but it's interesting that this is like a cartridge based old school toy mm-hmm. and it was really popular for the time 
there's maybe like 40 different discs that will be released for it over the next three years. It looks really weird. It's worth looking up, uh, but it's cool. It's sort of a game and it uses cartridges. It definitely feels very 78 when you look up photos. Of it. Yeah, yeah, it's great. That's good, yeah. And then one more handheld here for you guys. We have Race Through Space by Coleco, which um, we don't really have any info of. It seems very rare. It could be electromechanical, but it is a Coleco handheld, which I don't know if we've seen one of those yet, um, but it's, it's very interesting that they're getting into this handheld market. Could be a sign of things to come. We'll have to see. <laughs> but going on here to the next one that I reviewed for you guys, we're going back to something that's very old at this point. <laughs> the PC50X line. Did you guys even know that this was still happening? <laughs> we sure didn't. <laughs> uh, if you remember right, the PC50X consoles were actually the number one most made first generation consoles of 1978. More than the 8500s, more than the 8600s. It was the PC50X that is still like really popular right now. And uh, we've only covered, I guess, five of the seven chips for it, or no, I think eight chips. So this is number six, and this one's called Super Wipeout. And it's basically a collection of 10 breakout and clean sweep style Pong games. And uh, just to kind of get this back in your heads, because it's been a while, the PC50X is a first generation console because all of the innards are like inside the cartridges not like on the uh actual console but it does use like different cartridges so this one's the sixth cartridge and it had 10 breakout clean sweep style games and i'll try to explain these the best i can it's really weird i found a manual that said there was only six games and i found a youtube video that showed nine games so uh, <laughs> i feel like i'm missing one but at least i'll have most of them here for you guys so the first one's just called Wipeout, and it's basically Clean Sweep. Again, if you don't remember what Clean Sweep is, imagine Breakout, but instead of a row of bricks, it's a bunch of dots, and they're spaced out all around the play area. And your goal is just to try to hit the, the ball into all these dots to collect them and get your score. But it doesn't, like, bounce off the dots. It just kind of goes through them, and then they go away. So you have that. That's just normal one-player version. You then have Wipeout Practice, which is basically the same thing, except instead of there being one paddle and then three hard edges that the ball bounces off of, you've got two paddles, both controlled by you. They move kind of at the same time, so you're basically moving one, but it's moving two on the screen. And so each one is on either side of the screen. So it's kind of like you're playing Pong with yourself, but you're also trying to hit these dots in the middle of the screen to collect a score at the same time. Hmm. So kind of an interesting one, I guess. Um, we also have Wipeout Singles. This is a two-player version of Wipeout, despite the name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I think this is the one that has two variations. There's definitely one that has a barrier in the middle, and I'm assuming there's one without a barrier, so that would make it up to 10 here. But that's essentially the same thing I just mentioned, but you have a paddle on either side controlled by different people and whoever whoever hit the ball last when that ball goes across the screen you'll get points for every dot that it goes across but again with a game like this i think the first player would have a massive advantage because they'd get all the points on the way to the second player's paddle 
So it seems like a little bit of a weird one. <laughs> the barrier is a little interesting. It's directly in the middle of the uh, screen. So you have to go around like the edges. And all of these game modes, by the way, that I'm going to say are paddles on the horizontal or, you know, they're going vertically, but they're on like the left and right side of the screen. There's nothing on the top or bottom ever. It's always left and right. So in this case, the barrier is like right down the middle of the screen, which is kind of strange. But I guess it works. And then you've got one more here called Wipeout Practice Singles, which is a two-player version of a Wipeout with solid walls behind both players. So it's kind of impossible. Like if you miss the ball, it doesn't reset or anything. It just will bounce off a wall and continue bouncing. So it's just kind mm -hmm. of like a more easy version of the game, I guess. But that's all the Wipeout games. There's two more game modes. There's Super Wipeout. Basically, this is exactly like normal Wipeout, except there are colored parts to the game. So some of the dots on the screen, because it's still clean sweep style, will be in either yellow or blue. And then the actual ping pong ball that you're hitting will turn either yellow or blue depending on some conditions and it can only pick up those clean sweep style dots if it's the same color. So for the original super wipeout it can only hit yellow dots I think on the way to the back wall and then it'll turn blue and it'll only hit the blue dots on the way back. So if you only have a couple blue dots for instance to go you kind of have to try to aim the ball in such a way where it hits them only on the way back, which is a little interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you have super wipeout practice, which is basically the same thing. You've got paddles on either side, both controlled by one player. And whenever the ball hits off of one paddle versus the other, it'll change color. And then you've got the two player version, which it sounds pretty similar to the original wipeout, but it'll, I guess like, uh, instead of one person hitting the ball and then that ball will pick up points no matter what dots it hits along the way to the other person. In the two-player super wipeout version, the dots themselves are different colored. So each player is going for a certain grouping of dots uh, that they will only get the points from if they hit the ball last and then the ball goes through their dots. So maybe a little complicated, but... <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're saying, though. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> And then lastly, we've got two knockout games called Knockout and Knockout Singles, and these are Breakout. So we've got just one player Breakout and then two player Breakout, which is actually probably my favorite game on this cartridge because it's um, basically like Pong, but instead of there being just like an empty void behind your paddle, it's a bunch of bricks so that if you miss the ball, your opponent will hit a brick and start to... Uh, you know, get points by hitting bricks. So I don't know. I think it's kind of a pretty interesting way to combine breakout for two players because it's like each player is going for a certain wall to destroy those bricks and the other person's trying to prevent that wall from being hit. So it's kind of cool. One thing that is weird about breakout is that, as I mentioned, the paddles are on the left and right sides, so it's not an up and down thing, which is what Breakout usually is. So that part's a little strange, but it works. And uh, with that, I think that's all the 10 games. So hopefully you guys kept with me through, the, through it all. But let me go into my ratings now. For gameplay, I gave it a 2.5 out of 10. I didn't hate this, despite the fact that it's all Pong games, because there are some interesting ones. 
and um, Clean Sweep and Breakout are like some of the better Pong games. <laughs> so <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mind it too much. And there's definitely unique ones to this cartridge that we've never seen before. Stuff like each person trying to aim for a certain grouping of Clean Sweep style dots that are only their color. And also the two-player breakout, I think, is kind of a unique one. That one might have been around before, but it's certainly very rare if it is. So I just I just think it's a good addition, really. Although, to be fair, if you're playing Pong, like how many times do you miss the ball in one game? Probably like not that many times. Like not enough to clear a whole row of breakout bricks, <laughs> <laughs> let alone like three rows, which is I think is what it was. So it would be a very long game, but um, <laughs> I think it would still be okay. And Clean Sweep is fun. Like there's even a good amount of one player and two player versions that are kind of uniquely different. So I think overall the collection of games is actually pretty okay. So two and a half out of 10. For graphics though, I mean, we're dealing with Pong here. So it's bricks, it's paddles, Pong balls, it's not very good looking. <laughs> the score is on screen the whole time and it's in the play field, which is like, why are we still doing this? Cardinal sin, yeah. <laughs> it isn't true color though, but all of the game modes are the same color. It's always like this red background and blue and yellow for the two players and their respective dots for clean sweep, for instance. And you do have like a white, like white boundaries the hard borders and the barrier so you've got a couple colors there and together they do look okay but it would be nice if each variation had a different color palette i definitely think they could have done it so um just a one and a half there because there's no sprites there's no animations or anything like that for sound i just gave it a one out of ten it's just pong sounds maybe it deserves lower but at least it's better than nothing (laughs) (laughs) um so just one out of ten And for relevance, I just gave it a 3 out of 10. We're getting towards the end of the PC50X life cycle here. This being the 6 out of 8 cartridges. And uh, I definitely think these ones aren't as popular as the first few. Because I think the first few were sold with the system. When you bought the system itself. So I don't think these ones are particularly relevant. Especially in 78. Like how many times have we seen Clean Sweep and Breakout? Like they've been done. So... <laughs> We're not really moving mountains here. So just a 3 out of 10 there. And overall, I gave it a 1.75. Again, I didn't hate it. It didn't make me angry. It it didn't like run so poorly that my eyes started to bleed, which is good. (laughs) It's just kind of okay. Not great. Maybe if Clowns was on here, it'd be worth it. But (laughs) uh, as it stands, it's just a bunch of Pong games. And we've seen Pong a lot it has been a while since we reviewed one so maybe i'm in a good mood about it but (laughs) you know breakout and clean sweep are some of the best pong games so right i can't uh, fault it too much by the way this used the ay38606 chip which we haven't covered before so still making new chips in 78 (laughs) (laughs) well i gotta say i don't know if it's this is how you felt when you were reviewing it as well but just listening to it the innovations they made with gameplay, I mean, 
their pong games that we're working with so not like it's this crazy gameplay experience but those are some really smart changes to or like modes yeah. to clean sweep and breakout especially the versus breakout i don't mm-hmm. think we've seen that before and i feel like it's definitely something that's still around in like you know the super stylized like web uh flash player versions of breakout yeah. that you see now like the actual like versus you got to beat the blocks behind them the score kind of thing so that's neat yeah it's neat to see that in 78 yeah i thought it was a pretty good collection like each variation change it up enough that i thought it was a good variation you know it's a lot better than the 10 flag capture games which is basically like two <laughs> right yeah so at least um, there's a, some gameplay changes going on here <laughs> yeah yeah and uh i thought this the split between i think it's a little bit more than half or one player and then half or two player i think is about right it felt it felt like a good split there as well and again flag capture just had a couple one player games that were like the the one player variations were is the flag moving which i don't think is really something so right <laughs> there you go you heard it here first first generation better than the atari 2600 <laughs> <laughs> in this very specific instance but let's move on to our last game and the second game that i reviewed today escape with an exclamation point by Mm -hmm. silas warner and published through muse the legend the legend silas warner and we know we're going to be hearing great things from him later on is this a great one you'll have to wait and see uh (laughs) (laughs) this is basically an expansion on the maze game concept which ben covered before Uh, basically first person navigating through a maze trying to find your way to the exit you see the map generate at the beginning of the game and you can look behind you to see footprints to know where you went before so this kind of expands on that but does make a couple different changes it was available on cassette for the apple II, and there is a little background story in this one basically you're in a maze except in this it's called a building and you need to escape and (laughs) you have to get past all of the guards that are in this maze to be able to make your way out Uh, so let me talk about how this game plays you're stuck inside the building you have to make your way out basically and you always start i'm pretty sure in the southwest corner of the maze and you always have to exit through the northeast corner of the maze Uh, so you kind of have that as your guideposts in this and in this game the maze generates but it stays on the instructions screen when the maze generates and you don't get to see it at all Uh, so you're going in a lot more blind in this one you don't get to see the maze beforehand at all and as you go um i should say there's a little like quote-unquote story if you could call it that at the beginning where somebody says i'm not supposed to be telling you this but you need this pass card to get through the guards here's your pass card take it and good luck or something like that on the bottom of the screen it says you have a pass card and when you encounter guards there are two different types and these are actually things that you don't see as you're walking around in the maze but they'll just kind of like the game will stop and they'll show up on your screen and the guard can either give you dialogue options and you can get information from them or they will ask you for a pass and they will take your pass and let you keep going if you have one or if you don't have one, you'll lose the game and have to start over again. And there's also a chance for the guards taking your pass that if you don't have a pass, they take pity on you and give you a pass anyway. 
But basically, other than not making it out of the maze, that's your main loose condition, is if you don't have a pass and you encounter one of these guards, and they just, I don't know, throw you into a jail cell or something. I'm not sure what happens. <laughs> but for the guards that have dialogue options, it's sort of like, I know there's tons of riddles that kind of go this way, and it seems like it's taking theme from them. Because when you talk to the guards, one of the questions you can ask them, which is probably one of the most important ones, is do you tell the truth? <laughs> and they will say, no, I always lie. Yes, I always tell the truth. I sometimes lie, or I cannot answer that. And it turns this game into this weird logic puzzle, where based on that question, you have to decide whether or not you trust this guard, and then use that information for the other two questions that you can ask them. One of which is, if they have something to give you, and they will say, no, I have nothing to give you. Yes, I have a pass that I can give you that will get you past the guards. But if they're lying, they give you a fake pass that won't get you past the guards. <laughs> they say, yes, I have a compass that always points north. But if they're lying, it actually doesn't point north at all. But it says on your screen, you're heading north and you'll be heading south. Or they'll say, I have a map of the maze. And you can actually pull up the map in game. But depending on whether they're lying or not, the map is either upright or it's inverted. So That's actually kind of cool, I guess. It's interesting. Yeah, it does all these weird things. But I got to tell you, maybe I'm not good at logic puzzles. <laughs> There's some logic step that I was missing where it seems like you could get faulty information from someone who said they always tell the truth. And I don't know if... <laughs> there's a hidden chance that they are somebody who sometimes lies, but they say they always tell the truth. Cause if so, that just blows the whole thing out of the water. <laughs> right. um, but it's possible that I just was believing misinformation I got from somebody else. And then it conflicted with the information I got from somebody who said they always tell the truth, um, which is probably how it actually goes. Cause it wouldn't make any sense really if you were supposed to logic it out and you couldn't rely on that question to tell you whether or not there was a chance they were lying or not, basically. Right. <laughs> But so that's the basic premise of it. You have to use the logic to determine if the information you're getting is correct. And if you do get correct information, it seems like the right course of action sometimes is just to ignore everybody else because you're like, I'm pretty sure that this compass is right. So I'm going to follow it. Uh, but like I said, I was going off a compass for a while and I thought that person was legit. But then someone else said they always told me the truth. And then they said, you're heading north. And my compass said south. And I was like, oh, no, I don't know what to believe anymore. <laughs> uh, and the other thing I want to mention is that you don't see the map at the beginning, but you can pull the map up in the game after you get one from a guard. And also, you can't see footsteps behind you. So that made it real tough for me. <laughs> you can't mm -hmm. see where you went before. So let me get into my ratings for this. For graphics, I gave it a 3 out of 10. Uh, the main graphics for this are exactly the same as Maze Game. It's not exactly vector graphics, but it does sort of this tapering pixel shapes as it goes away from your view to make it look like a vanishing point in perspective. So it looks pretty convincingly like you're heading down a hallway. It looks really good. But there are some key differences that make it not as great as the original Maze Game visually. For one, the color palette isn't like pink and blue and these nice... I guess sort of like contrasting, but in a way that grabs your attention colors. The colors in this, maybe because they wanted to make it like a slightly more believable environment, are pretty dull. It's brown and light green walls, brown being the walls that you're facing, light green being the walls that are on your sides. 
dark green floor and a white ceiling. Uh, so it's not super exciting. The exit is gray with a pink horizon line. So that's at least a little interesting, but overall you can tell the difference between all the different colors. So it's not confusing visually. It just doesn't look super exciting. Uh, and then also there aren't any footsteps to indicate where you've been. So it doesn't have that nice visual aspect to it, but it does have the guards, which even though they aren't in perspective like the rest of the maze they do look pretty good they're just this little like 2d thing that takes up about half the screen of a guard face and different color hats based on what their behavior is whether they take a pass from you or give you dialogue options they'll have a red or green hat and they have this little thing that kind of looks like a uniform on it is probably for the best that they don't have faces they're just these faceless blobs because i'm sure they would look terrifying if they had tried to <laughs> put faces on them but they're actually despite or except from the faces, their clothing and stuff kind of gives them character, which is pretty cool. And the fact that they take up like half your screen, so they could <laughs> add a lot of detail in there. So those look pretty good. And in general, it is a good looking game and it does really cool visual things like Maze Game to give you the perspective. But I would have liked footprints in it and the colors aren't as interesting. So kind of just keeping it at that 3 out of 10 rating. For sound, as far as I could tell, this didn't have any sound which is weird because I think the first maze game had like pitter patters or something, right? I think um, it just made a sound when you booted it up actually. Okay. Well, that might be the same thing then. And I couldn't tell if that was just the Apple emulator I was using or if it's actually the maze game sound because other games that I've played on it have made the sound that I heard in this game on the emulator. I mean, so either way I'm going to give mm -hmm. it a tentative zero out of 10. I don't really <laughs> know. Okay. If it did have that sound that was specific to this game, it deserves a little bit of cred, but even then, not that much, because there's nothing really going on. Mm -hmm. For gameplay, I gave it a 1.5 out of 10. It's, I don't know. <laughs> I think the guards were an attempt to make the game more difficult and interesting, and it does do that, but the logic puzzles, maybe it's just me, they kind of annoy me. Uh, <laughs> It just, I didn't know who to trust and where I was going. And <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. It, it was just a little confusing to me. Maybe I wasn't in the right headspace to reason it out. It might be pretty fun for someone who likes this kind of puzzle. And I do think that the extra theming is nice. Even if it's weird, we're not at like Dungeons and Dragons inside a maze yet, which would be awesome. But there is at least like other people in the maze you encounter and there's some loose story. So I do like that. I just didn't like the logic puzzle aspect of it so much. And really the biggest gameplay gripe for me is that you get a map and you have an in-game map that you can use, which is really cool, but the map takes about a minute and 30 seconds to load. Oh no. Um, because it draws it all on the screen, like one vertical line at a time. So for someone who hasn't been like mapping their progress before they got the map and can recognize, oh, that shape I traveled in that direction, so I'm right here. You can't just like pick up the map and say, oh, I just came at an intersection after taking a right turn. Let's see where I am because it takes so long to load that really I felt like if I didn't have a paper and pencil to draw it all out, I'd kind of forget what I was even thinking about by the time it loaded. Um, I guess a minute and 30 seconds is kind of a goldfish attention span, but either way, it's, it's a long time for an in-game map to come up. Um, so that was a big gameplay no-no for me. I feel like... Um... The guards just pop up randomly, right? I feel like it might have been better if 
either they were always encountered after a certain amount of time, or you could just try to go other paths to navigate around them if you knew you didn't want to talk to anybody. Yeah, yeah. And I think they do just pop up randomly, and I think they disappear but can spawn again in areas that you've already been. I had one where I ran into like two in a row after I turned around somewhere. Hmm. And if it ends up being the guards who check your passes, you can kind of get RNG'd into losing no matter how well you play, too, right. which is a little weird. Because, uh, I mean, there's it's it's a different feeling when you're like gambling this pass that I got might be good and might not be good. That's at least the choice that you're making. But when it's like... I ran into two guards in a row, so it doesn't matter if my pass was good or bad. It feels a little weird. Mm -hmm. um, so there's just some issues with it. I do think the general idea behind enhancing the gameplay is cool. It's more than just a... Empty maze. <laughs> empty maze, yeah. But I don't know if it was necessarily all beneficial changes to the gameplay. Right. So then for relevance, I gave it a 6 out of 10. Uh, it just makes tweaks to maze game. So I think visually, maze game is still the most relevant. But it does add interesting mechanics. And just because I know this is Silas Warner, looking at any game with like this kind of maze and perspective, I'm like, okay, I see the bones of Wolfenstein starting to <laughs> show in these like very, very loosely. So overall, I gave Escape a two out of 10. It's an interesting new direction from the previous maze game. Not one that I particularly enjoyed, but I think the concept is cool. Adding slight lore to a maze game is always good. But in practice, it was just a little bit frustrating. I think the color palette leaves a little bit to be desired, but still it does have the cool corridor graphics, which are really awesome to be seeing on a computer in 1978. Yeah, I think this is the first game that you've played that has like filled in walls, right? Yeah, it's yeah, because I've played plenty of those RPGs on Play-Doh that have the wireframe walls. But mm -hmm. yeah, this is actually like it feels like a fleshed out, more so than what we've played before, environment. Yeah, so it's it's cool. It's a neat visual like trick that they did because it's not vector graphics, but it gives that feeling of mm -hmm. perspective. Yeah, so that is Escape by Silas Warner. It's a pretty cool one. Nice, Got some nice. issues, but you know, yeah. <laughs> still interesting. Yeah, going into it, I knew it was like the maze game, but there were like people inside of it, so I thought, oh, it could be really, really good. But um. I didn't know there was like logic puzzles and I didn't know that the color palette would change because I quite enjoyed the color palette of the original. So um, I'm not quite sure why that was the case, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, either way. <laughs> yeah, so let's wrap it up. Uh, just as a quick review, we started today with some Atari 2600 titles, including Flag Capture, which is apparently one of the worst games for the whole system, but I didn't know <laughs> that going in. And uh, to be honest, it's not like terrible. It's just uh, probably not worth the cartridge price of whatever they were selling for it at the time. <laughs> we then did some Bob Bishop games like the new and improved Star Wars version 2 and uh, also Bomber, which Wes did, which has uh, kind of the pixelated explosion graphics, which is pretty cool. And then I did the next in the PC50X line, the 506, which was Super Wipeout. And then we wrapped it up with Escape by Silas Warner, his sequel to the uh, probably one one of the favorites I've done so far this year, which was his original Maze game. So pretty cool. Yeah, so we got some good stuff and we have more stuff coming in the future. 
If you're following us on our journey, make sure to follow us on Twitter for announcements about our episodes. Check out our website so you can see everything that we've done before laid out in beautiful fashion that we are updating all the time. And also make sure to send us an email if you have any questions. And with that, we'll see you in the next one. See y'all next time.